Um, so we're just going to dive right in this morning. I have a lot of scripture for you. Um, and we're going to be jumping into the book of Romans. So Romans um, is just such an incredible and unique book of the Bible. And raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Romans Road to Salvation. Okay. Um, when I started doing this study, um, I remember the Romans Road coming to my mind. And I, I haven't really heard much about it since I was a kid. Um, and I can't, I know, I know, I can't stand up here and quote it to you or, or really remember it. But why is it called the Romans Road? It's because it is a, a tool that we can use to remember in leading someone through the gospel. It's, it's verses in Romans. And why Romans? Because Romans is such an incredible book. It's a letter that preaches the gospel very, very clearly. And it was written by Paul. And it was it just beautifully written. I got so excited as I was studying because Paul is just incredible in the way he penned Romans. So I encourage you to read the book of Romans this week since it's going to be fresh in our minds. And again, the Romans Road, it's made up of five verses. I don't know if there's different variations, but from the ones I saw, um, they were five verses. And as a kid, I, I always wanted to know you know, if I had a friend that didn't know Jesus, how would I lead them to him? And try as I might, I just couldn't remember them. Like, sometimes I could, like, memorize them, but then when I wouldn't, you know, go back and reread them, or I was standing in front of someone or talking about it, I would get nervous and have to quickly turn in my Bible because I was afraid to misquote it. And I fully love and, and encourage people to memorize Scripture, right? We want to memorize the Bible, but we don't want to just memorize things like the Roman road just because of sheer recitation. Is that how you say that word? Um, But rather, I'd rather dig into Romans and really get it embedded in my heart so that it flows out of me naturally when I'm having a conversation with somebody. You know what I'm saying? But as I was studying, one thing really stuck out to me, and I was like, there's there's no verses from Romans chapter 4 in here. I think there should be a verse from Romans chapter 4 in here. I really, really do. Because Romans chapter 4 is just such an incredibly important chapter of the Bible. They're all important. I'm not raising it above, above other scripture, but you'll see what I'm saying as we dig in here. Romans chapter 4 reiterates spiritual truths present throughout the Bible starting in Genesis. And like I said, the entire book of Romans, the whole letter, was written by Paul, and he was writing to the Christians, the Jews in Rome. He wanted to encourage them in their faith, and he wanted to share the gospel. So I do want to throw out a nice big word for you out of the gate here and give you a definition because I'm going to use it a lot. And I want to make sure that I'm clear and, and that we're all on the same page. So I want to I want to talk about the word justification for a minute. Everyone say justification. So I looked up the word justification in Easton's Bible Dictionary, and it's he gives this definition uh, for the word justification: a forensic term opposed to condemnation. As regards to its nature, it is the judicial act of God by which He pardons. All the sin of those who believe in Christ. 
and accounts, accepts, and treats them as righteous in the eye of the law, as conformed to all its demands. In addition to the pardon of sin, justification declares that all the claims of the law are satisfied in respect to the justified. It is the act of a judge and not of a sovereign. The law is not relaxed or set aside, but is declared to be fulfilled in the strictest sense. And so the person justified is declared to be entitled to all the advantages and rewards arising from perfect obedience to the law. Righteousness is living up to God's perfect standard. Unrighteousness is falling short of that. So, again, I want to preach this morning from Romans chapter 4, but I want to start by doing a quick overview of Romans 1, 2, and 3, just so we have a clear picture and context going into chapter 4. And I hope that excites you. I love the Bible. And so I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you this morning. I have slides for some of them, but not for all of them. Um, But anyway, so Romans chapter 1, Paul opens up his letter with a greeting, a short one because he just dives right into his content pretty quickly here. And he, he tells them how much he wants to visit them. But then he gets right to it in verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And right there he gives his punchline, so to speak, of what he's going to really hit home here. The righteous shall live by faith. You know, Paul is really going to hit home over and over again, the gift of salvation through faith. But he's also sure to express the justice of God as well. And in in chapter one, he lays it out. Sin suppresses truth. Sin angers God. And he makes it clear that we can choose to walk out the plan and purpose that God has for us, or we can choose to walk in the futility of our minds. Sin is deserving of and leads to death. In Romans chapter 2, Paul continues to reiterate this about everyone is sinful. All people are sinful. We are all sinners according to the flesh. You know, There are times when judgments are required. I'm not saying that we should live as judgmental people, but it's not necessarily true that we should never make moral judgments. But Paul hits home that, you know, we can never look at somebody else's sin while turning a blind eye to our own. We're all sinful, so therefore account for yourself before you try to help a brother or sister. Paul doesn't downplay the penalty of sin here either, and he he drives it home that sin should be punished. None of us can read the words in Romans and feel above them or that they don't apply to us. None of us. All evil, all sin will be punished, and we are all sinful people. Paul makes it clear that we serve a just God that will justify. And And the law wasn't written 
just something written on tablets of stone, but also written on the hearts of the people. Then we go into Romans chapter 3, and he really, again, he continues to hit home that, you know, Jews and Gentiles, we are all the same, wherein we're all sinners in need of a Savior. He really, t- I, I, one of the things that I really appreciate about, eight, about Romans 2 is that, you know, Paul really takes the time to preach the gospel to the Jewish people. They were the ones that the law was given to. So they really needed that encouragement that, hey, you're no longer under the law because you have Jesus. He explains how the, the Jewish people, they're no longer under the law, but that the law does this beautiful and necessary thing and that it shows us that we are not righteous and that we can never be righteous when we, are, when we lay ourselves next to God's law. So I want to read Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Just listen. I'm going to read a chunk here, but um, it just explains exactly what I'm saying here. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says... To those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we see the word propitiation in that piece of scripture. Jesus is our propitiation, meaning he became our substitute. We stand guilty And Christ expiated, or he covered our guilt through his death on the cross, which was the final authoritative sacrifice needed for redemption. Another word I kept coming across in different translations as I was studying out these scriptures was impute, imputeth. I like that. Say imputeth. To impute is to credit someone with something. So in Christian theology, it means that we are imputed with Christ's righteousness as if it were our own. His righteousness is deposited in our account. A righteousness that we did not and cannot earn. Christ earned it. We receive it. So now we are longest introduction award at Bethel goes to me today. (laughs) We finally landed in Romans chapter 4. So if you want to turn there, we're going to camp out there for a little while. So Romans, so again, he, Paul is just opening this beautiful letter about the gospel, really hitting home, hey, we are sinful. We need a savior. 
and you are not under the law. We belong to Christ. He is our justification. He is our redemption. But then Paul does something beautiful, and he gives us an example, and I love that. And, you know, no matter what testament I'm studying in, no matter if I'm reading in the old or the new, I love to look at the other testament for an example or another place where this concept is taught. And Paul does it for us here. He is witnessing hugely to Jews, like I said. And so he pulls in this beautiful Old Testament example. Wait a minute. An example of being saved by grace from the Old Testament? Yes. How? What? Abraham and David. Abraham and David. He gives us his examples here about how God's grace was at work from the very beginning in Genesis. You know, God didn't send Jesus as an afterthought because his first plan didn't work. The Bible and the story and plan was not a plan A, plan B kind of situation. It is not Old Testament justice with New Testament grace. It has always been grace and truth from the beginning. God's plan was perfect from Genesis to Revelation. The law was perfect. The law is good. The law was and is necessary. And grace was present the whole time. So, Paul reiterates this in chapter 4. So if you want to turn to Romans 4, I'm going to read the whole, the verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to walk through it verse by verse together. So I'm going to read Romans 4, 1 through 5. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Mm, Good stuff. So let's look at verse 1. We're going to go verse by verse here. Verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? You know, Paul is explaining all of this. And again, I like to repeat myself. I tell tell that to the youth group all the time. I love to repeat myself, so just deal with it. Um, Um, he really is, is witnessing largely to Jews here, not only to Jews, but he pulls in this perfect hook question, this perfect example. Abraham, what about Abraham? The father of the Jewish nation, the bread and butter of the Jews, so to speak. Paul pulls him in as an example and a testimony, and it's Abraham being a revelation of the gospel in Genesis. Verse 2 says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So if Abraham was saved through his works, through his obedience, he would have been able to boast in and of himself. You know, if it was about Abraham's qualifications in order to be the father of the Jewish nation, in my opinion, we might see a list of those qualifications in that text if that's what it was about, if it was about Abraham being qualified 
to be used. But we don't see that. We don't see a list of qualifications. Why? Because it wasn't about that. Abraham wasn't a perfect man. His actions didn't qualify him as righteous. Even Abraham couldn't stand before God and boast. I cannot stand before God and boast. You cannot stand before God and boast. If our faith was works-based, we could boast. We could wave flags about how much we're doing for God's kingdom. Then we could line up all of our works as a roadmap for other people to follow, and it could be like a formula or a resume. But none of us can boast in our works. We all fall short, and so did Abraham. His faith qualified him more than any qualifications ever could. Let's go to verse 3. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is, is very wise in what he's doing here. He's going back to Genesis. He's quoting Genesis here. Genesis 15, 5 through 6. This is a scripture he's referencing. It's that, that beautiful moment where God brings Abraham out of his, his tent or his dwelling and, and tells him to look up at the sky. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. His belief in the Lord, his trust in the Lord, his faith in the Lord was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. He had faith. Verse 4. We'll keep trucking along here. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So, if you work... You earn wages. You are receiving what you are due. Your boss is indebted to you to pay you for the work that you do. That is the opposite of a gift. And I like that Paul uses this here because a lot of people have jobs and they understand this concept. If you work, you get paid. You are owed that payment. That is not a gift And that is not what we're talking about here. In verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Do you hear what Paul is saying here? Like so clearly, so bold and clear, the gospel message. I'm going to read it one more time just to make sure you believe me. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. If you do nothing but believe in God and put your faith in Jesus, your faith is counted as righteousness. That's salvation. No works involved. 
Listen, some people don't like that thought, and I might be making you squirm a little bit here, but did you hear what I read in the Bible? Some people would probably steer me, that might be uh, disagreeing a little bit, might steer me to James chapter 2. And I welcome this into this message. James 2, 14 through 18 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and no one says to them, go, and one says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have work, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Again, a pretty clear scripture, right? And some people might feel that these scriptures, the ones I'm reading in Romans 4 and the ones in James 2, are trying to contradict each other, but they absolutely are not doing so. Rather, I'm here to tell you this morning that I believe these scriptures are complementing each other. James is not preaching or teaching salvation through works here. James is teaching us that works are the fruit of true faith. The work is the evidence, not the requirement for salvation. If we remove the works, if there is no fruit of works in our lives at all, it must bring us to a point where we're questioning the genuineness of our faith or if we have faith in God at all. Good trees bear good fruit. True faith in Christ will lead to signs of faith in our hearts and in our lives. By no means does this cancel the gospel message of being saved by grace, period. I'm not telling you this morning, I am not preaching that obedience doesn't matter, that there's no place for that in our lives because we're saved by grace. Obedience is a very necessary part and requirement in our relationship with God. But what I am boldly proclaiming to you this morning is that obedience does not secure our salvation. Salvation is not grace plus works. It's not Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. That is the gospel that we must proclaim. And if there's still some people that are struggling with this here, I have a little bit of an example. My dear husband, he just loves when I use them as examples when I speak. Not really. I'm sorry, Matthew. (laughs) So I went out to dinner the other night with some friends, um, Got hibachi. I love hibachi. And um, while I was gone, he had both kids, um, a three-year-old and a seven, almost seven-month-old. And it was like, you know, that throw, the throes of that, you know, lovely hour when your kids are in the best mood. Post-dinner, starting to get tired, get ready for bed, you know, the, the funnest part of the day. And um, 
I left for dinner, and it, it was quite, I was gone for a long time. Anyway, I come home, and he has the kids ready for bed, and he had cleaned, like, everything. He did the dishes. The kitchen counters had nothing on them. When does that happen? <laughs> Not often. And he vacuumed the whole house, and it was just, it was the sweetest thing. And I, had did, I didn't ask him. I didn't leave a honey to-do list. He just did it because he loves me, and he loves our family. So, you know, when I woke, and that was last Sunday night, actually. And so Monday morning when I woke up, I just was like, man, I just was energized to keep things looking that way because it was just how sweet of a gesture that was. I didn't want to go and just make it all messy within five minutes, which, listen, if that happens, it happens. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but you know what I'm saying. But I just was, you know... It drove me to want to repay that kindness with more kindness and keeping things looking nice because it was just so sweet. I love you. So what does that have to do with what I'm saying? Matthew's kindness to me drew me to wanting to extend kindness to him. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 2. So he addresses the issue of faith and works head on here. Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his, of God's, kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The gospel, being saved by grace, draws us to a place and posture of repentance. Grace draws us to right living, not to sinning. That rhymed. The truth of the gospel does not give license to sin because Jesus covers it all. We must understand the difference between how a Christian should live and walk and what a person must do in order to receive salvation. I'm going to repeat that again because it's very important. We need to understand the difference between how a Christian should live and what we must do in order to receive salvation. Galatians 3.3 says this. I love Paul. I love how clear he makes things. Listen, are you so foolish? Question mark. Having begun by the Spirit are now being perfected by the flesh? Here's Bennett's version of that. Are you so foolish to believe that what begun as a spirit work of grace switches over to works done by the flesh? Our salvation is not maintained by works. Our salvation is secured by faith in Christ. Salvation will forever be through grace, and that's truth. True faith, a true receiving of Jesus, leads us down a path of sanctification, Holy Spirit-led transformation. We do not remain the same. Christians, people who have faith in the Lord, refuse, should refuse, to live in continual sin. Romans 6, 1 through 4 says this. Again, more Paul. What shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Are you understanding what I'm trying to say this morning? The gospel is perfectly just. God is perfectly just, and he is the perfect justifier. Justice is perfectly served through Christ if you choose to believe in him. Or justice is perfectly served if you choose to stand apart from him. Both ways, justice is served. It's our decision which way we face it. These truths must be included in the gospel message for ourselves and for others. If the worship team wants to make their way up, I am starting to descend the plane. You know, it's essential that we don't gloss over grace. It's essential that we don't downplay being saved by grace and grace alone. Listen, I'm just going to be very frank with you this morning. If my salvation, if Brianna Bennett's salvation was based upon my works, I am going to hell. I need Jesus. You know, in the religion of Islam... It speaks of a paradise where faithful Muslims will live with Allah in the afterlife. And those that aren't in paradise are subject to great judgment. And entry into paradise is based upon adherence to the five pillars of Islam, the teaching of the Quran, or dying as a martyr. Buddhists believe that there is a nirvana kind of like a heaven, so to speak, where your spirit is rejoined to God and and reaching nirvana requires following an eightfold path. Jehovah's Witness, um, they teach a variety of works based on, on teachings in order to receive a positive afterlife. And there's a special like level of the afterlife for the top 144,000 witnesses. And then everyone else gets heaven on earth and utter annihilation for those who do not make it. Mormonism also teaches grace, salvation by grace, plus their own actions. Article 3 in their statement of faith says this, We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and the ordinances of the gospel. Catholics believe that upon death that their, their souls, the souls who reject Christ, are sent to hell. But the souls of those who accepted Christ and completed sufficient acts for their souls to be purified will go to heaven. But if you have faith, 
but you didn't complete the necessary steps to be purified of sin. You go to purgatory where you're, um, you experience pain and punishment until you are then pure enough and your soul is released to heaven. Christianity doesn't teach that. I told myself, I looked in the mirror this morning, I said, you will not cry. You will not cry. (laughs) But every time I went over my notes, I got a little choked up at this part. Because that's not the gospel. Church, we must not blur the lines with this part of the gospel, lest we preach a false one. We must understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's that we are saved by grace. And we never, and I tell this to the teenagers all the time, we never want to live in a place where we're just so quick to say, yes, I believe that. I know it says that in the Bible, I believe that. I don't want to hear what you have to say necessarily. I don't want to hear with your lips. Yeah, I believe in that. I believe that that's the gospel. I want to see it with your life. I want to see it in the way you treat people. I want to see it in the way you treat the people you live with. How you treat your family and your friends. How you, how you encounter people that are different than you or may have different beliefs. We need to be ready in and out of season to explain with our lips the clear gospel message. But every day we wake up, we need to also be preaching it with our lives. So if you want to stand with me this morning... don't know everybody in this room and I don't know where everybody is in their walk with the Lord, but I do know that it's a great day to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, it's very easy to know him because it's not based on anything you can say or do. It's based on Christ and his blood covers us. We don't have to clean ourselves up before we receive him. We come as we are. We have faith. We believe in him. We know we're sinners. And we receive him as a free gift. So if you haven't accepted that free gift of salvation, it's a great morning to do so. And I encourage you to make that choice. And also, when we receive Christ, we don't let it stop there. But we begin the process of sanctification and walking out our faith and letting the Lord produce that fruit in our lives as we yield to him each and every day because where there is faith, there will be fruit. But let me tell you something. If you are standing here discouraged at all this morning, or maybe you're like, I don't don't have fruit in my life if I'm being honest. That's okay. You are saved. 
by grace and grace alone. We don't start back at square one every time we screw up because if that was the case, I would be asking Jesus to save me over and over and over and over again. But I know that my salvation is not secured by how I live my life every day, but it's in my decision to have faith in him every day. Doesn't give me a license to go out and sin away, but it gives me this incredible freedom to rest and know that my salvation is secure. It's not this fickle thing that comes and goes based on me. It's all about Jesus. So this morning we're gonna close with a song of worship and I just wanna open this altar to anyone that wants to receive Christ. We'll have people up here to pray for you. But I also wanna open this altar as just a place of celebration of the fact that we're saved by grace. And maybe you haven't expressed your thankfulness to God in that for a while, because when I was studying this, there were times where I kept stepping away just because I was so incredibly thankful and wanted to spend time praying and worshiping the Lord because his goodness just overwhelmed me. Because when you get this in your heart, you will just feel that joy and that faith rising up and that freedom that we have because our salvation is through faith. So maybe you wanna come and meet Jesus. Maybe you wanna come and just celebrate and worship together. But I encourage you to utilize this time, this open altar, just to come and enjoy the presence of the Lord for a few more minutes this morning. So I just invite you, if you would like to come, please join me up here. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.